Have you ever noticed that God's system oftentimes is a backwards system? Have you ever noticed that? Uh, it is oftentimes a backwards system. Think about that for a second. With God, the first is last, and the last is first. Now, if you understand it, that's backwards. That's absolutely backwards. Uh, with God, the greatest is least, and the least shall be greatest. That's not logical. That is absolutely backwards. With God, the impossible is actually possible. Now, that doesn't make any sense. Do you see how backwards that is? What is impossible is possible with God. Do you see in our gospel, the guilty in Christ go free while the innocent Christ is punished? Do you see how backwards that is? Have you ever noticed in this backwards system that sometimes, and maybe you can think about times like this, sometimes the worst thing, the absolute worst thing was actually the best thing. And maybe with time and with perspective, you're able to look back on it, but I, I'm talking about the worst thing, and I could give you examples of that, the worst thing, the, the most terrible, the absolute worst thing was actually the best thing. Well, do you know, only a marvelous God could do that. And I, I take hope in that only a powerful, gracious, marvelous God could take the absolute worst thing and turn it around and use it for the best thing. Now, thinking about that, do you know that is the picture of the cross? Do you know that's the cross of Jesus Christ? Only God could take something so terrible, so horrible, and so ugly as the cross of Calvary and actually turn it into the best thing, the price of our redemption having been paid, the price of our forgiveness having been settled, and it actually become the best thing. What a marvelous God that what seems like the worst thing in his grace and his power could actually be the best thing. Well, today we're going to continue our study here in Acts, and we're going to see such an event. We're going to see another such event. Uh, our message today is actually going to take two weeks. Uh, last week I preached 53 verses in one service. I thought that was a little excessive. And so this is actually going to be a two-part message, and it is entitled, The Worst Best Thing. The Worst Best Thing. Today we're in Acts chapter 7. Verses 54 through 60. Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. The worst, best thing. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Verse 54, God's word begins and it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for you. We're rejoicing for such a Savior, for such a salvation. We're rejoicing that you take our sin, our shame, our, our garbage, and you bear it to the cross of Calvary. And there in a terrible act, it is turned and the, and the beautiful price of our redemption is paid. We're thankful that you're a risen Savior, a resurrected Savior. We're thankful that today as we watch the perils of our world, that we have hope today, that we have peace today, that outlast these circumstances. Lord, I pray as we begin to study your word today, I pray that it would be truly awesome. Lord, I pray that you would truly speak. I pray that our hearts will be ready to hear. And I pray, Lord, that your church will be directed today, if need be, corrected today. I, I pray that the gospel will be preached in clarity and that there's one here that doesn't know you, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord Jesus, I pray that you're glorified in this hour. We tell you as your people, your church, we love you and we worship you and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. For the last two weeks, we've been looking at the life of Stephen, this, this really radical disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things I've said as we've moved through the study is how awesome it is to think he was a person like us. He was a man like us. He didn't have some super, super enablement. He didn't have some thing that we don't have. The things that he possessed as a believer, we possess as well. And so here is this man, this radical disciple of Jesus Christ. And the call is we should be, we could be just as radical for the cause of Jesus Christ. Well, in the last two weeks, we've been looking at his life. We have seen of him that he served really as an influential person in the local church. There's the church begins. We have seen that he is one of the seven that is chosen from really thousands of, of candidates to serve the widows in the church. And he is described, and it's a pretty amazing thing, as being full of, now the word is filled up with, the Holy Spirit. Wisdom, he is full of wisdom. Grace, he is full of grace. Faith and power. What an awesome, awesome description of a person. Here is this guy, and he is a follower of Jesus Christ, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's filled with godly wisdom, and he's filled with grace and power, and he's filled with faith, and that is his actual description. But we read in the account that he has been accused falsely. We know that's the way of the world. He has had false charges made against him. Uh, the charges are that he has talked against Moses, that he has blasphemed Moses, that he's talked against the temple, that he blasphemed the temple, and that he has even talked against God himself. And those are the charges that are made. He is grabbed up. He is brought before the Jewish ruling council. And then last week, we hear his defense. We hear his response. Those are the charges that are made against him. Well, there in the midst of this ruling council, he gives his answer. Well, if you remember from last week, really in the end, he turns the tables on these Jewish leaders. He accuses them 
of denying the truth of Scripture, of denying the, the teaching of the prophets. And so he says, this is what the Word has said, and this is what the Scriptures have said, and you have denied the teaching of Scripture. He has accused them of denying the testimony of the Holy Spirit. God has led them. God has directed them, and they have rejected the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then he has accused them of killing the Messiah himself. He's actually accused them of killing the Messiah themselves when they killed Jesus, the Nazarene. Now, be sure this is a heavy thing. This is a profoundly radical thing. Understand there in front of this court, these are the leaders of the nation these men have power. These men have clout. These are the religious leaders of the nation. These are the men that are responsible for the death of Jesus. And so we find himself in his areas. He's made his defense. And now as he's turned the tables against them, this is a heavy juncture that he finds himself in. This is a serious matter that he now exists in. And then our verse today starts with their response. See the heaviness of the crux of where he's at. And now we have their response starting in verse 54. Here we go with our verses. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Now, understand, this group again has heard the gospel. They again, for at least the third time, they have heard that Jesus, the Nazarene, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior from God. So for at least the third time, they have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, now in the proclaiming of the gospel, Stephen has really put them on trial. He is settled in what he believes, and now in the hearing of the gospel, they are called to decide what they will believe. Now, here's the thing about the gospel. It demands an answer. That's the thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It begs a decision, which means you either receive it, you believe it, you receive it, or you reject it. And that's, that's the point to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Upon hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you cannot remain neutral to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Once you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no middle ground. I see folks sometimes and they say, well, I've heard that. You know, I kind of like the things of the church. I'm not so sure about all the pieces of that. That's fine. I'm glad you believe that. I'm glad you're radical in that. That's okay. I, I'm not ready to make that decision. I'm not sure I'm ready to, to believe that way. And they do not understand they are not neutral to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are in opposition. They are rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel always demands an answer. Well, the verse says, when they heard this, when they heard his response, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth. Now, this is, a, this is a, a really a radical, crazy response. They are cut to the quick. That means they are cut to the heart. They are laid bare. It literally translates, 
They are sawn in two. And so hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are cut in half. Hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are laid open. They could have pretended to be religious. They could pretend to have all the information. But hearing the gospel, they are literally sawn in two. They are laid bare, cut to the heart. And it says they began gnashing their teeth at him. They began grinding their teeth. Now, this seething anger had now made its way to a boiling anger. Now, if you want to picture that, picture a, a pack of hungry wolves, of, of, of violent wolves, and there is their prey, and they now smell prey, blood there on their prey, and the wolves, as they show their teeth, and they're gnashing their teeth, and they're drooling, and, and as they close in, that would be a pretty good picture. Now, I want you to see this. These civilized leaders of the nation these Jewish elite, these self-righteous religious leaders are now reduced to rabid dogs. And they are, they are cut to the quick and their response is to literally start to gnash their teeth. Let us at them, they start to gnash their teeth. The Bible says in hell there will again be the gnashing of teeth. Now think about Stephen for just a second. That must have been a terrible feeling. Here you are, you're in the midst of this council and you've made your case for the, for the gospel of Jesus Christ and you know it's gonna be opposed, you know the result, but that must have made his hair stand up. To be, the, to be the focus of so much hatred, he had to be terrified. Here they are and they're angry and they're, they're starting to circle in and they're gnashing their teeth, they're filled with fury. You'd think he would have been terrified. Verse 55, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven. See the picture here? They're whipped into this violent frenzy. They're, they're stirred up and their anger is starting to be exposed and there he stands calm in their midst. The Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit God is with him. More than that, God is in him. And in the midst of all that, he stands and he is calm. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The Bible says he sees into the throne room. He sees into heaven and he sees the glory of God. The Bible says he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, I, I want us to get this picture as they have this violent response as they, as they are now flushed up with anger, as they're gnashing their teeth toward him, the Bible says he is there and he is calm. He is filled with the Holy Spirit and he is looking intently into heaven. Now that's gotta be the weirdest thing there. They are gnashing their teeth and he's calm and he's focused his eyes and he's looking intently into heaven. Now here's what I think. I believe He's looking for Jesus. He knows what is coming. 
He, listen, he's not fooled by that. He knows what is coming. He feels the vile hatred there in the room. He knows that his words have been of no effect. He knows that his words, he's not gonna be able to offer them any longer. These are the last words he'll get to speak. He knows that time is growing short. He knows what's going to happen. And so he looks intently to Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so here, Stephen, he's, his savior is Jesus. His hope is Jesus. His peace there in the midst of the storm is Jesus. His life has become Jesus. The message that he has proclaimed is Jesus. And so now as his testimony is finished, now as the world presses in, he does all that there is left to do, really all that he could do now, he looks to Jesus. And I'm gonna tell you in God's grace, the heavens roll open. And the Bible says he sees the glory of God and standing there is Jesus. He sees his Savior, Jesus. The skies opened up and heaven's doors are opened up and he looks intently and there he sees standing Jesus. Oh, how awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Verse 56. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Oh man, I want want us to see this in, in verse 56. I want us to see this this morning. He sees Jesus and he says, behold, behold, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He sees the the glory of Jesus. He sees Jesus and he says, I see the son of man. Notice it says he is standing. Jesus is standing. I, I want you to get this. Some say, And I think back to sermons I've heard and I I look through a bunch of commentaries. There are some that say Jesus stood to honor the witness of Stephen. He is faithful in his witness. He is bold in his witness. And so there is the scene is pulled back. Jesus is standing and he stands to honor the witness of Stephen. I don't think so. I believe it's the other way around. I believe Jesus was honored by the testimony of Stephen. I believe Jesus is glorified in the testimony of Stephen. There are some that say, now this is the most most common that I hear, that Jesus stood to welcome Stephen home, that he stood to receive this faithful, radical disciple Stephen home. Well done, good and faithful servant. And he stands and he welcomes his beloved disciple home. I believe he welcomed him home. Listen, I believe he welcomed him home. I believe it was an awesome thing. But I don't think so. I, I think it is more awesome than all of that. Why is he standing? The right hand of the throne is the place of honor. It is the place of power. It was the seat of power. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 64, it says that he would be seated 
at the right hand of power, that Jesus would be seated at the right hand of power. In Mark chapter 16, verse 19, it says, when Jesus was received into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God. It's a continuing testimony. In Acts chapter two, verse 34, it says, the father says, sit at my right hand. In Ephesians chapter one, verse 20, it says, seated at the right hand in the heavenly place. He is seated at the right hand in the heavenly place. In Colossians chapter three, verse one, it says, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. In Hebrews chapter one, verse three, it says, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Be sure, over and over again, Jesus having finished the work of redemption, Jesus now having ascended to heaven, he is found seated at the right hand in the glory of God the Father. Over and over again, he is seated at the right hand of God. So why is he standing? Listen very carefully, stay with me. I don't think it was about honoring Stephen. I don't think it was about receiving Stephen home. In fact, I will tell you, I believe at this point it has very little to do actually now with Stephen. Rather, I think it was clearly, fully, forever, finally declaring to these hard-hearted Jews, the true identity of Jesus, the Nazarene. Now, I want you to stay with me, follow with me through this. See this. The title, the Son of Man, was a title given to the Messiah. They knew that. When they heard that, they would have known that. The Son of Man, it is a messianic title. It is a title referring to the Messiah. In Daniel chapter seven, verses 13 and 14, the son of man is presented before the ancient of days. In Daniel chapter seven, the son of man is introduced as the promised one of God as the Messiah. And as we see in Daniel chapter seven, he is the savior of the world. Now listen, he's not the savior of the Jews alone. He's not the savior of Israel alone, but he is represented in Daniel chapter seven as the savior of the world. In Daniel chapter seven, he is the Lord. He is the master. He is the ruler. He is the one that has given all dominion, not just over Israel, not just over the Jews, but he has given the rule, the dominion over all the world. In Daniel chapter seven, he is the righteous judge. When you read Daniel chapter seven, you'll see he is the one that has been given the authority to judge. In fact, he is the only one who can serve as the righteous judge. And when you read Daniel chapter seven, listen, when he comes to judge, he comes standing. Friends, don't you miss this this morning? They may have denied him as he came down the hill into Jerusalem. They may have denied him in their secret clandestine meetings. They may have denied him as they grabbed him up outside of the garden of Gethsemane. They may have denied him in the darkness of the high priest's court. 
They may have denied him in Herod's court. They may have denied him in Pilate's court. But friends, he would not be denied in his own court. And so he stands as the Savior from God, the ruler of men, the Messiah, the Christ, the King of kings, the righteous judge. And Jesus stands to testify to who he is. And so he looks to Jesus and he sees his savior, Jesus, and he is standing the final testimony to these unbelieving Jews who he is, the righteous judge, the king, the one with dominion. He testifies to who he is. Verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice, and covering their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. It literally translates, they screamed out. He says, the son of man, he's standing there with God and, and they cover their ears. We'll hear no more of this. And they scream out and with one flash of impulse, they rush at him. Verse 58. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now I want us to understand the picture here. This wasn't a proper stoning. This wasn't a formal stoning. There was no vote taken. Did you notice that? There's no vote taken. There's no verdict that is rendered. They do not meet amongst themselves and offer a, a verdict to be rendered. There's no verdict rendered. Most likely, still under the Roman rule, they had no authority to inflict the death penalty anyway. And so understand, this was no proper stoning. This was not a formal stoning. No, this was the result, the, the effect of a maddened mob. In a proper stoning, a legal stoning, they would take the accused out of the city and they would take him to a cliff that was about 12 feet high. They would shove the person over the cliff and the accusers, those that made the accusation, those that had been wronged against, those that had testified, they would take the largest stone they could find the biggest one that they could carry, as big as they could pick it up, and they would throw it down on the person at the bottom of this cliff. Many times, the first stone would kill them or render them unconscious. They would take other stones, also big in nature, and they would throw them over the edge as well, and they would make sure that the execution was finished and the person was dead. It was a structured event. Not everybody participated, only those that had been wronged. It was a structured event. It resulted in the execution of the criminal. It was an ordered event. Understand, this is not 
that event. This was rather a mob and they picked up rocks and their, their teeth are gnashing and they picked up stones and they began to pelt him and they began to throw them at him. There is no order here. They began to throw the stones at him and another stone hits him and another rock hits him and maybe it's in the back or maybe it's in the side of the head and another rock flies in and a smaller one or maybe a fast rock or a sharp rock and a proper stoning the executed person will be stripped and thrown over the edge. Everyone else would remain clothed. But now in this maddened mob, as they throw the stones and as they begin to heat up and as they begin to sweat, he has his clothes on and they begin to take their robes off and throw them at the feet of this young man and they begin to strip down as they grab another rock and another rock and another rock and take this layer off and pick up another rock and they throw the stones at Stephen. The Bible says they laid their robes. Here, hold this. At the feet of a young man named Saul. Now we won't stay here very long, but for just a second, think about the image that's being burned into the mind of this young man named Saul. And I wonder years later if this image would come back at night. I wonder years later when he's put in a in a prison cell, if he would think about the man Stephen, I wonder if this image would come back to his mind at night. And think about this image as he stands there and as the, the robes come flashing in and piling up at his feet and as the stones go off and the dust raises up and he's hit in a hell of stones. He sees this man Stephen. And for the witness to Jesus, he's struck with rocks. As a bold witness, he's struck with rocks and he won't relent. Why won't he relent? He won't recant, just recant, and another stone comes in, and he's struck, and he's struck, and he's struck for testifying to the truth of the Savior, Jesus. And he sees his blood as it starts to eke out. He sees him as he becomes disoriented and tired and injured. He sees him as he falls to his knees, and he saw him die unrelenting in his testimony to Jesus. Can you imagine that image is being burned into this young man Saul's head? Verse 59. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my my spirit. They went on, the continual verb tense, stone after stone after stone, it went on. And he cries out, Lord Jesus, maybe no sweeter words. He knows his Savior. As the rocks come pelting in, he knows Jesus is his Lord. He knows he is his hope. He knows he's the forgiveness of his sin secured in the cross. He knows Jesus, and as he comes to the end of this day, he knows Jesus. And so he cries out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He gave his body to the cause, and now he commits his spirit. 
Here I come, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, the righteous judge that I see standing, I know who he is. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The Bible says, and then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Asleep, do not be misunderstanding here. It's the cultural word with the understanding of died. He died. He fell on his knees and he died. And there he died. The Bible records his last words. He says one last words there from his knees. Now listen, it's the echo of the words of Jesus from the cross. Stephen says as he begins to die, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. The last beautiful words of a beautiful life redeemed by a beautiful Savior. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do you know what that means? Do not condemn them for this. That's what it means. Do not condemn them for this. It means, Lord, give them another chance. Lord, don't, don't write them off not for this. Don't write them off for this. Don't condemn them for this. Give them another chance. Hard words if you've ever been hurt. Hard words if you've ever been crushed. Hard words if you've ever been wronged grievously. Hard words. But I want you to see this morning, that's the heart of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible says he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it, John three seventeen. And so Stephen echoes his heart. Stephen mirrors, mirrors his heart. And really it's the call of the gospel. Listen, that's the cry of the gospel. The gospel says, don't write them off. Don't condemn them for this. Give them another chance. Don't write them off. Give them another chance. See, the best thing is that they would be saved. The best thing for any person is that they would be saved. And the call of the gospel is don't write them off for this. Lord, give them another chance. Don't let them be condemned for this. Give them another chance. And so we see the last beautiful words of this beautiful life redeemed by a beautiful Savior. And in them we see the Son of Man, the righteous judge, the Lord of all. He doesn't write them off. And that's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, what grace. Oh, what grace. I want to tell you today as we conclude this service that the, the call of the gospel is still the same. There's still a decision to be made. The truth of the gospel is God's grace is still made known to you. What tremendous grace. We reject him. We rebel against him. We slander his name and yet his grace still stands. The heart of the gospel still stands. And I want to tell you the truth of this day is, is we have a Savior. And in him, there's the forgiveness of our sins. In him, there's a hope that stands that lasts. And offered to us is forgiveness that we didn't deserve. 
The Bible says if you'll believe by faith, you will be saved. Oh, what a beautiful, gracious Savior. Let's pray. During Father, we come and we're thankful for you. I'm thankful for the truth of your word. I'm thankful for this faithful picture of a faithful servant. Most of all, I'm thankful for the picture of my Savior, Jesus, who didn't come to the world to condemn. He came to save, and he came and he goes to the cross at his own cost to save. He takes my sin, my shame to save. He pays the penalty in his own blood, his own life to save. He's resurrected, risen from the grave, and he stands as the Savior. Lord, I'm thankful for such a Savior. Lord, I'm thankful for such a gracious Savior. Lord, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you. I pray for anyone here that, that hasn't trusted you, receiving your salvation in grace. I pray that today would be that day. Lord, I pray that you speak in their hearts and you're moving right now. Maybe in the circumstances of life, you've brought them to this point that now they've heard the gospel. And they can no longer stay neutral. I pray for a decision made to the glory of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray for us to save people here today. I pray that understanding the grace that's been extended to us, that we would be agents of the, of the gospel. We would be testifiers to the gospel. We would be bold as Stephen is bold. Let it make a profound difference. Let it lead people from hurt and suffering and death and decay and wickedness and evilness to the goodness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we end this service, I pray that you speak. I pray that you continue to speak. I pray that you lead. I pray that you draw. And I pray that our response would honor you. We give this to you. We love you. We praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.